Hey, we are in part three of our series that we're calling I Believe in Miracles. I'm enjoying this series. It's a lot of fun to talk about situations in the Bible where God came through and did amazing, wonderful things. One of the things we've been looking at is 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23, just to make sure we have this properly grounded because we don't want to go off the rails into some strange things one way or another. And Paul mentions two ways that if we don't have our priorities right, we can go off the rails. Two felt needs for how to find the Lord. We have here in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23, Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So there are the Jews who demand a sign. They're looking for miraculous signs to prove authority from God. The Greeks are looking for wisdom. Both of those can be good in their own way. We want to grab hold of the power of God. We want to grab hold of the wisdom of God. But to keep us grounded and to keep us from going off the rails, we need to focus on Christ crucified. And this reminds us that God loves us, that Jesus has sacrificed for us and redeemed us because of the value he sees in us. And he sees that value in everyone else. And so when we have that as our grounding, We can step into wisdom and we can step into the power of God grounded in the right things and seeing these things in a healthy way. So I want to keep focusing on that. Last time we talked about Saul among the prophets and how important the spiritual climate is. So I encourage you to bring the right spiritual climate with you everywhere that you go. This week, we're going to talk about a very, very famous miracle which is Jesus walking on water. And we're going to focus on Peter walking on water specifically is what we're going to look at. The experience that Peter had when he walked on water, the walking on water is that Jesus did is referred to in three of the four gospels, but only in one of them is Peter mentioned. So there were amazing things that were going on. And you think Peter getting out of the boat and walking on water didn't make the edit in two out of the three gospels that this is mentioned in. So uh, it's just an amazing story, but let's set the stage first because It wasn't just that there was nothing going on and then Jesus walks on water. There was quite a bit happening. And so I want to make sure to uh, set the stage properly so that we can understand the context of what was going on. So we're going to start with Matthew chapter 14, verses 6 through 13. Matthew 14, 6 through 13, we have the story of the death of John the Baptist. And this leads directly into Jesus walking on water. So here we go. Matthew 14, 6. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. And had John beheaded in the prison, his head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So, 
Jesus is actually the cousin of John the Baptist. He hears of the death of his cousin, the one who did amazing ministry, who trusted in him. And here he is unceremoniously beheaded in prison for really no good reason. And Jesus hears of it and you know, he's got to deal with this. So he's wanting to go to a private place to be alone, to just work through this in his heart. So he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So this is going on. And then when we go to the book of Mark, we see a different piece of information about the situation as well. So let's go to Mark 6, starting in verse 29. This is the account of the beheading of John the Baptist, and we pick it up there in the Gospel of Mark. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So we see here that not only was Jesus distressed over the death of John the Baptist, his cousin, a great man of God, unceremoniously beheaded in prison, but also they were doing so much ministry. So many people were coming for prayer. So many people were coming with needs that they didn't even have time to eat. It was just a constant flow of people. And so Jesus is like, you guys need a break. I need a break. Let's go to a solitary place and let's, let's just get away for a little while. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you just need to get away for a little while? Well, how did that go? How did it work? Let's go back to Matthew 14. And as we were reading, we saw uh, in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Let's keep reading. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So remember the apostles were just overworked and they had a grueling schedule. And now when they're trying to get away, they're doing ministry all day into the evening and it's time to eat. And they just say, hey, look, just send the people away, would you? They say that to Jesus. But instead, verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women, and children. Were they successful in getting off to some peaceful solitude to 
get a break and uh, recover and deal with the, the trauma they were experiencing. No, unsuccessful. So busy again that in order to meet the needs of the crowd, there was this great miracle that was necessary. The feeding of the, of the 5,000, probably 10 to 15,000 people, an amazing miracle, but that's not the miracle we're talking about today. So let's continue on telling the story here. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus knows the disciples, they didn't even have time to eat. They're trying to get away. They don't get away. They get to this massive group of people, thousands of people. They're ministering to them all day until the evening. So he's like, hey, guys, get in a boat. You guys can go. I'll deal with the crowd. So Jesus sends his uh, apostles off in a boat, and he stays. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. So now he gets to spend some time by himself to deal with the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist, just to process that and spend some time with his heavenly father. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. All right, so picture this. Jesus sends them off on the boat. It's probably about sunset right now, maybe a little bit after. Not sure how long it took to feed everybody. So it might be dark. They start rowing in the boat. The wind is against them. And so they're having to battle against the wind while they're rowing all night long until almost dawn. So they were overworked went on their vacation, were overworked on their vacation. Then they're rowing in the middle of the night till almost dawn. Imagine how tired you would be (laughs) if this was the situation. This is very difficult. And Jesus himself too, he hasn't slept either. He dismisses the crowd. He goes up on the mountainside to pray. He has to spend some time with his heavenly father, work through the John the Baptist stuff. And now it's almost dawn. Jesus walks out to the boat on the lake. We pick it up, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So the disciples believed in ghosts? I don't know. Well, here's the deal. Imagine being that tired. And now, you know, it's 4.30 in the morning and you're just rowing against the wind and you're not getting anywhere. And then uh, you see you see a figure walking along in the dark on the lake. That had freaked me out. So they're freaking out. And it's just a scary moment for them in their fatigue and confusion. So they're scared. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that region recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So 
even after rowing all night and Jesus walking on the lake because he had to dismiss the crowd while he let the apostles go. Then it gets to be dawn. They show up on the other side. They recognize him over there and they're sending all kinds of people to get prayed for and get healed from their illnesses and that sort of a thing. So this was a very stressful time and they were very tired and this was just difficult. It was a busy, stressful time when Jesus and Peter walked on the water. So the situation is Jesus is walking on the lake to catch up to them. They're about maybe four miles out on the lake. He comes out there, scares them. Peter says, hey, if it's you, let me come out to you. Jesus says, come on. And Peter succeeds in walking on water until he doesn't. And then he sinks. Jesus catches him. And then they walk back and get in the boat. So Many angles to this story. What are some lessons we can learn from this? Well, the first one is this. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Peter believed that if Jesus said it was okay for him to come out on the water, that he would be able to walk on water with Jesus. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Peter a normal person like you and me actually walked on water. It's amazing that Peter did this. And he did this because he had faith that Jesus had called him to do it. And he was trusting the Lord, getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, one of my very, very favorite sections of scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 will explain the process of grace and faith and salvation. So here we go. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We are saved by the grace of God. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we can boast about. You know, I'm so good. Jesus saved me. That's not it at all. It's the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, the kindness of God in the face of our failures and our sin. It's the grace of God. But how do we access the grace of God? How do we grab hold of the grace of God? It's through faith. You have to put your faith in Jesus in order to receive the salvation that comes through grace. Because Jesus has died on the cross for everyone. Is everyone therefore saved? They're not. In order to access the grace that's already there for forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ, you have to add faith into the mix. So it is not our doing. We don't earn our salvation. We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps into salvation. No, we access the grace of God through faith. Our part is faith. God has done his part, which is Christ's work on the cross, the grace of God to give us redemption. But we access that grace through faith. Our part is faith. Faith opens the door to the power of God. So let's walk by faith, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's trust God and let's bring the gospel to the world. Amen. Let's open the door to the power of God by walking in faith. Point number one. 
All right, point number two, fear shuts the door to the power of God. So if faith opens the door to the power of God, fear shuts the door to the power of God. I would even say fear is just faith in the negative outcome. So if you are afraid, it means that you're pretty sure the bad thing's going to happen. That's faith in the bad thing. Instead, we want to have faith in the power of God, faith in the good thing. Because fear will shut the door to the power of God. Peter didn't just walk on water. He also sank. He got to do both. He got to walk on water and he got to sink. Can you relate to that in your walk with God? Are there times where you're just a champion and you're full of faith and amazing things are happening? And then there's times where you sink and you don't know uh, what's going on and you're afraid of the wind and the waves. And, and all of a sudden you're scared because you're too far from the boat. And does that happen? Can you relate to that? I can relate to that. There is a struggle among the people of the faith, the people who are endeavoring to follow Jesus. There is a struggle between faith and fear. And it's a real struggle. And I don't want to pretend that it isn't real. If you are endeavoring to walk by faith, then you will be called to do things that just don't work. Peter walked on the water. Is that something that's physically possible? Absolutely not. It took an absolute miracle from God, an overriding of the laws of nature for Peter to walk on water. He could not do that on his own. And yet he stepped out of the boat by faith and walked on water until he saw the wind and fear gripped him and he no longer had faith to walk on water. Now he had faith to sink and that's called fear. He had fear and he sank. I remember... Years ago, when we were planting the church here in Cloquet, you know, as a church planter, you're, you're starting a ministry from nothing. I felt that God was calling me here and the Abundant Life Church in Hibbing was first assembly back then was like, yeah, we feel like we're called to plant a church in Cloquet and you're called to be the church planter. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Uh, but the scary thing was I was playing with $130,000 of other people's money. $130,000 of money that people had given to the Lord had said, Father, take this offering and build your kingdom. And they prayed. And then now I have this money <laughs> and I'm supposed to plant a church. What if I fail? I mean, this was a lot of money. I don't want $130,000 of people's offerings to God to just go up in smoke as I fail to plant a church. You know, it was, it weighed on me heavy and I had to choose. Am I going to live in fear of failure or am I going to say, you know what? God has called me here. The church, our parent church in Hibbing uh, is believing. I'm believing. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to see miracles and it's going to work. We're going to plant a church and it's going to succeed and just walk by faith. I had to choose every day. I had to choose because that fear would come up and I'd be like, nope, I'm walking by faith. God has called me to do this. It's going to work. God's on our side. Let's go and walk by faith. Of course, now years later, we are established just over 10 years later. We are an established church. We exist. We have property. Life is good. But we had to walk by faith and not fear. And there's so many other things like that, that we have to choose faith instead of fear. Is God still on the throne during COVID? 
Yes, amen. So we can do ministry. We can trust God for the church to grow and succeed and overcome even in the midst of COVID because that is not greater than our God's plan. The day may come where we have another building addition here in Cloquet, where we build a new sanctuary to be able to fit everybody. That's going to take walking by faith and not by fear. So many things in your life, in my life, my ministry life, my personal life, your work life, your personal life, your school life, your sports life, whatever it may be, you can walk by faith or you can walk by fear. And you actually get a different outcome if you walk by fear than if you walk by faith. A different thing happens. We must walk by faith because if we walk by fear, we're going to get a different outcome and it's going to be a bad outcome. Let's walk by faith. A lot of Christians are afraid of conspiracies and the government's going the wrong direction and our society is going away from God and all that sort of stuff. And I just want to say, walk by faith, not by fear. When you walk by fear, you can actually bring the thing on you that you're worried about. You remember the, uh, the Branch Davidians in Waco? They stockpiled a whole big pile of weapons because they were worried that the government might come and try to take them over. Well, what made the government come and take them over and all that loss of life? It's because they were stockpiling all those weapons. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you don't want to walk by fear and then bring the thing on you. You don't want to do that. Instead, let's put our faith on Matthew 16, 17 through 19. You know, let's choose to walk by faith, believing in this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So let's believe that Jesus will build his church and the gates of Hades itself will not overcome it. We are not in a vulnerable position. We are not in a place to walk in fear. We are in a place to walk in faith and to trust God. So let's put our faith on that, not walk in fear. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Fear shuts the door to the power of God. Let's walk in faith that Jesus will build his church and that we will be able to walk as believers in Jesus in the United States and we will be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's believe that. All right, point number three, a little bit of a side point, but I think it's an important one and it's this. Presumption isn't faith. Peter walked on water, but he didn't just get out of the boat. He said, hey, Jesus, if it is you, tell me to, to come to you. And Jesus says, come. He gets out of the boat after Jesus gives him permission to do so. Just really, really wanting something very badly and then trying to get God to give it to you is not faith. That's presumption. In order to have it be faith, you must be believing in God, believing in a promise that God has given you, believing in a scriptural promise. Faith is believing in Jesus and believing in the promises of God. We don't get to pick what the promises are. We have to believe the promises. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from years and years ago, said, find God's will and pray that in one of his sermons on prayer. You want to have an effective prayer life? Find God's will and pray that. It's like our take five 
scriptures. We take five minutes to pray for five people each day. I encourage you to be praying for five people. Find five people that you don't think anybody's praying for. Pray for them. You can pray Ephesians 1.17 over them. Ephesians 1.17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul prayed this over the Ephesians. We can pray this over people that God, our Father in heaven, would give people the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know him better. Is that the will of God? Absolutely. That is the will of God. Find God's will and pray that over people. Pray that over yourself. But don't just presume. That's not faith. That's just making something up, really wanting something and trying to get God to do it. Point number four, walking by faith is risky, but Jesus will catch you if you sink. Now I say walking by faith is risky. Give me a little grace with that. Of course, it's much, much more dangerous to not walk by faith. (laughs) But what I mean by that is when you step out in faith, sometimes it doesn't go how you thought. Peter actually got out of the boat. He was walking on the water for a while. I don't know how far it was. I mean, Jesus was farther away, you know, to where they, they didn't recognize him. I don't know, maybe he's 50 feet away, 100 feet away. I don't know. How dark was it? Was the moon out? We're not really sure, but it wasn't four feet. It was a ways. He had to take some steps. And then he sank. What's worse than sinking? I'd say not getting out of the boat. Peter got to walk on the water. <laughs> you know, he did sink eventually, but He got to walk on the water. What's worse than sinking? Not getting out of the boat. What's worse than walking by faith and having some surprises and things not quite work out and some ministry failures or some opportunities not quite come to pass? What's worse than that? Not even trying in the first place is worse. Living in fear and never stepping out in faith is much, much worse than walking by faith and sinking and having Jesus catch you. Jesus didn't let Peter drown. Peter didn't start to sink. And then Jesus watched him sink. like, oh yeah, great. Nice job. Now I'm gonna have to go get another apostle. He didn't just let him sink. And Peter also didn't just start to sink and be like, hey, what's the deal? You know, and he's angrily sinking to the bottom of the lake. Jesus, then let me sink. You know, Peter said, Lord, save me. And Jesus, I'm here for you. And I got to tell you, if you are going to walk by faith into the unknown, into the miraculous, into the great things of God, there will be times where you sink. You've got to cry out to God, Lord, save me. I got in deeper than I thought. I didn't realize what was going to happen. I, I Somehow I missed it. Lord, save me. And Jesus will grab hold of you and pick you up. It doesn't specifically say this in the verses that we read. It doesn't specifically say... But I just think picturing the situation, Jesus must have caught him. I mean, they weren't one foot away from the boat, caught him, lifted him back up. And then the two of them walk on the water back to the boat and Jesus helps him in the boat. This is what Jesus does for us. We step out in faith. We feel vulnerable and afraid and we say, Lord, help us. And he catches us and helps us up. Step out in faith, my friends, but don't be surprised when hardship or persecution, or even failure come your way? How should you respond? When you start to sink, yell, Lord, save me. Run to Jesus. Reach to Jesus. Don't pull back and say, where were you while you're sinking? Instead, Lord, save me, and he will catch you, and he will help you. Many angles to this story. First thing, faith opens the door to the power of God. 
Fear shuts the door to the power of God. Presumption isn't faith, kind of a side point. And then point four, walking by faith is risky, but Jesus will catch you if you sink. I got to tell you, walking by faith is the best life you can have. Trusting in Jesus in the midst of the storm, trusting in Jesus no matter what. Walking by faith is a glorious way to live. Jesus walked by faith and he is our example. Did Jesus get everything he asked for? You know, here Jesus is walking on water. He feeds the 5,000, miracle after miracle after miracle. Everybody who touches the hem of his garment gets healed. Amazing miracles over and over and over in the life of Jesus. Did he get everything he asked for? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 26. And this is the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, we'll read verses 36 through 42. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So this is the night that Jesus will be betrayed and captured, and the next day is when he will be crucified. And he knows this is about to happen. He knows that this is God's plan, but he still is troubled and he's sorrowful. And let's keep reading. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus is feeling the weight of the moment. He knows what is coming and it's overwhelming to him. This is amazing. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's saying, Lord, that you can do all things. You're the creator of the universe. If there's another way, let it be. That's not the only thing he prayed. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. So there's Peter again. He's praying this for an hour. They fell asleep. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So you see the shift from, if you can take this cup from me, please, to, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken, May your will be done. Jesus prayed a third time saying the same thing. Jesus did not get that cup taken away from him. He was going to drink the cup of suffering. He was going to be captured by the betrayal of Judas. He was going to be tried in a mock trial. He was going to be scourged and beaten He was going to have to march carrying his cross and he was going to be crucified and killed. And that was going to happen. Jesus submitted to his father's plan. Faith means trusting God, even if it's scary and painful. And I'm glad Jesus did his father's will. And that is what we remember when we receive Holy Communion. The obedience of Christ to suffer and redeem us. This is how we receive salvation. We receive salvation by grace through faith. Jesus paid the price on the cross. He was willing to go to the cross to follow his father's plan 
which was for a divine sacrifice sufficient to cover the sins of the world, that we who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God could be forgiven and redeemed and brought into new life. If you are someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not sure if you're saved, then today is your day. Now is the time because Jesus did go to the cross that you could be saved, that your sins could be forgiven and that you could be brought into new life. And for all of you who are believers, now is the time to remember what Jesus has done, to trust in him, to walk by faith, because we know that Jesus walked by faith. He saw victory after victory, and then he saw betrayal and pain. But in the midst of that, the greatest victory. He walked by faith. We can as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of redemption. That you don't take people who fail, people who sin, people who have hurt other people, people who have lied and messed up. You don't take them and reject them and destroy them. But Lord Jesus, you went to the cross to redeem them. You went to the cross to redeem us. You went to the cross to redeem me. And so, Father, I thank you for your great plan of redemption. And Father, we thank you for forgiveness of sins. We trust you, Lord Jesus, that your death on the cross was enough for us to be forgiven. And so we thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, we pledge our lives to learn your ways, to walk in your ways, to bring your love and your mercy and your grace to this world and to lead people into faith in you. So Father, we give you praise. Encourage us and strengthen us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, again for what you've done. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your kindness and love. May your love be spread among our nation and all the peoples of the world. May we respond in faith, trusting in you, rejecting fear, but grabbing hold of faith, unlocking your power in our lives, in our families, our workplaces, our communities, our states, and our nation, and this world. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name, amen.